Hello and welcome to That One Case, the podcast where lawyers share stories of the cases that influenced their careers. My guest today is Arthur Siegel, partner at Jaffe Law Firm. Arthur is a Michigan-based environmental and regulatory attorney. He has over 30 years experience and heads up his firm's environmental law group. On today's show, Arthur shares with us his own David versus Goliath story with a case that brought him toe-to-toe with the US federal government. The case that I'm thinking about, uh, and I've been practicing, gosh, um, just about 34 years, which sort of staggering to think that I've been doing this that long. Um, It's a case that I did not handle originally. Uh, It was a case coming out of the the Thumb area of Michigan, uh, in the the Midland area of Michigan. Uh, It was a case that actually went all the way to the U.S. Supreme Court and then came back after after the case was overturned. The client was was a gentleman named John Rapanos, and he was a... I guess older gentleman at the time, he was a longstanding developer. He'd been, you know, he'd, he had developed properties. He had uh, owned and operated some hotels in, in, the, in the Midland area. And um, he had gone out and, and done some clearing work on, I believe it was six of his properties. Uh, and Mr. Rapanos had a reputation for being sort of a salty, crusty, difficult personality. Uh, I'm sure he'd made some enemies over the years. Um, Someone called the state government, and for reasons I don't know, so I can sort of speculate, it was actually referred um, to the federal government, the U.S. government. Michigan and New Jersey are the only two states that have been delegated authority by the federal government to enforce federal uh, wetland regulations uh, in their respective states. So the state of Michigan chose not to step in and deal with the, the alleged wetland violations that Mr. Rapanos had committed. Mm-hmm. Um, somebody uh, reached out to the federal government and the federal government has the right under its delegation of authority to step in and say, you know what, even though we delegated authority to the state of Michigan, we're gonna step in and take over. And that's exactly what happened here. Okay. The case narrowed from being about six properties to being about three. Um, they all ran by uh, either canals or drains or streams or creeks. Um, so the federal government came out and charged Mr. Rapanos both criminally and pursued him civilly. And he lost both the criminal case and the civil case. And he, with the aid of a conservative sort of anti-regulation uh, public interest group, uh, brought an appeal uh, to the Sixth Circuit Court of Appeals in uh, Cincinnati, Ohio, and he lost there too. Lost in the Sixth Circuit and appealed it with the same group to the U.S. Supreme Court. And there, the U.S. Supreme Court reversed. And it was an interesting decision, not just because it was a reversal, and it was a reversal of a long-standing federal government policy but it was a four to four to one decision. Four of the justices led by Justice Scalia were were in favor of overturning the case. And Scalia argued that if you couldn't tell where the wetlands ended and the water, the regulated federal uh, waterway of the United States began, then that wetland should be regulated as a federally regulated wetland. And that was what the question was about was, are these federally regulated? Not are they wetlands, not are they state regulated, but are they federally regulated? This was a federal case. 
the the other four uh, basically stood for the proposition that if there was any hydraulic connection between a federally regulated waterway and a wetland, then it was federally regulated. So that was the, the other four. And then the one individual was Justice Kennedy, uh, took the position that there had to be what he would call a substantial nexus between the federally regulated waterway and the wetlands. And what that meant was entirely unclear. It, but it's, it's been a live controversy uh, ever since. What, what, what did Justice Kennedy mean? I'm not sure he knew what he meant. Um, but in this case, he wasn't sure that the federal government had shown that there was enough of a nexus. And so the case, it was remanded. It was sent back down for retrial, which is where I came in. Mr. Rapanos had reached out for help, and uh, he, he decided to hire me and our firm. And we were back in federal court in front of the same judge that had tried the civil case years previously. We argued in front of the judge that this case was a complete do-over, that we had to start over with what's called discovery. We had to, we had to you know, go out and evaluate these properties and, and start with new experts and, and start over. And the federal government showed up and um, the judge agreed with me and said, yep, you get to do discovery. And we agreed on discovery and we, we reached a, a discovery plan with the federal government, the Army Corps of Engineers and the EPA, and we agreed we would meet out at the property. Um, and we went back and you know hired new experts and started looking at the properties. And our client had always contended that there were no wetlands on the property. Now, he was wrong. There, there certainly were wetlands along the edge of the property where the drains or canals or streams were. But the big question was, was the whole property or was the property largely wetland? And we, we agreed on this, this plan where we would go out with the federal government and we would inspect the properties together. And this was like a three-day process, you know, pretty much one property per day. And, you know, we, we spent a lot of time walking around in boots and jeans. Um, I don't remember the acreage, but they were not small. I mean, th- these were large properties he had planned to develop uh, into, into various commercial businesses. I think one was going to be a shopping center. One was going to be an office building. I don't remember what the third one was. Oh, the third one was going to be housing, now that I think about it. Um, we went out and, you know, a lot of walking back and forth, a lot of taking measurements, uh, ensuring that we knew where we were on the property relative to what had been determined to have been wetlands previously. Certainly people did plant observations and photographs, uh, measurements of the depth to the, to the surface water. And there were, I think, even some sampling of, of soils to see whether or not the soils were hydric soils. What I learned was our, that, that the client's prior expert had not done a lot of that. In fact, I don't think he had done any of that sort of work on these properties, that he based his testimony on aerial photographs and prior mapping that had been done. And so what I learned there is, is that there's really no uh, uh, replacement for going out and doing your own uh, hands-on investigation. And that was particularly true because we learned that a number of the properties had large trees right smack dab in the middle of locations that had been determined by the court to be wetlands and that those trees were the kind of trees you would not find in a wetland. And these were trees that, you know, that much water would kill. And, you know, they were 30 or 40 years old and these were not small trees. So what we learned was that many of the areas that had been alleged by the federal government and agreed to by the court to have been regulated wetlands weren't wetlands at all. The other thing that I learned, and this is where the story at least got 
to be a little bit, in hindsight, sort of amusing, is on the third day we were out there, when the feds, and they sh showed up with, you know, half a dozen uh, SUVs uh, with, you know, people full to the gills. You know, a lot of people, there were, I think there were four of us. Uh, it was me and three hydrogeologists uh, on our side. And we stopped and I said, you know, we're going to break for lunch. And I said, okay. And they said, you know, the rest of the afternoon, we are not going to be on the properties. And I said, well, where are you going to be? They said, well, we're going to look downstream. We want to see the, the downstream waterways because we want to see the flow. And I said, well, under our agreement, aren't we supposed to stick together? And they said, no, only when we're on the property. And I said, well, I'm not going to argue with you about that. You're going to do your thing. I guess we can do our own. And if we bump into each other, we bump into each other. I think they were a little concerned that we were, you know, standing over their shoulders, watching their measurements, evaluating what they were thinking and what they were saying as we were doing the same. So we broke for lunch. And after or at the end of lunch, I said to uh, I think my client had joined us and I said, you know, I'd really like to go back and see property number three. So we drive up to property number three and there are those four or five. I don't remember now. SUVs parked by property number three. And I walk onto property number three and I walk up to one of the lawyers from the Department of Justice and I said, what are you guys doing here? And they said, well, we wanted to come onto this property. And I said, but we had an agreement that when we were on the property, we would stay together. And I sort of shot a look over the, my shoulder at one of our consultants and I mean, I didn't give him a wink or anything, but I sort of decided, you know what, I'm just going to let loose here because I think I've caught them with their hand in the cookie jar, right. which I absolutely had. <laughs> and I said, well, what are you doing here? You're on the property. And he said, well, we, we called the drain commissioner for the county and he gave us permission to go on to the uh, easement for the drain that runs along the side of this property. To which my response was, um, seems to me, I remember from property law that the easement is not by itself separate from the property. The easement is on the property. I mean, they're right. There is an easement, uh, but that easement is across the property. I mean, if, if there's an easement across your property, you still own the land under which the easement sits. And I basically let it, you know, lit into them and said, you, you know, you guys, you violated our agreement and I'm going to let the court know about this. At that point, I basically learned not to trust anything that anybody from the other side tells you ever because they may, you know, yank you around. Now, of course, at one point we're walking across the middle of the property and this lawyer is walking with me. And I said, I didn't give you permission to walk across the middle of the property. Go walk in the easement. Of course, the easement was full of thorns and nettles and it was nasty and gross. And I did that just frankly for the fun of it. But... Uh, I can tell you that as I was driving home that day, I was composing in my head the letter I was going to send to the other side. And I basically sent a letter uh, to the, the head lawyer on the case, uh, telling him what had happened and informing him that at the appropriate time, we would call it to the court's attention and ask for any discovery done by them during that process to be struck. And it was a fairly venomous letter, but it was actually, I think, their screw and the attitude of the federal government changed from we're Goliath and you were David to, hey, can't we work this out? And at that point, I knew not necessarily that I had the upper hand, 
but certainly that the, the tables had turned, that things were much more even. And at that point, we negotiated a resolution and it wasn't perfect. You know, there were penalties involved. Uh, there were there were restrictions placed on certain certain of the properties. Uh, other properties that the government allowed agreed could be developed, uh, which previously would not have been able to be developed under the previous order. And we got basically the criminal matter resolved such that the client did not have to go to jail, which he may have. So we basically, you know, it is sort of the play by the rules. If you catch the other side not playing by the rules, uh, yeah. you've given yourself a significant advantage. And it worked It worked to the client's uh yeah that's fantastic and and just and time on the ground as well you know like actually getting out into the real world and and looking at things you know not just working on theory and 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 assuming that that you know the material you have to work with is is accurate actually going there on the ground and seeing for yourself what the what the state of play is 100 percent, 100 percent. unfortunately uh you know the costs of litigation and the cost of experts and you know the attorney time and all of that unless you have a significant case. And this one was. And so it, it all it all added up to that. But you're absolutely right. There is there is nothing that is, I mean, you know, for me, when I, I look a lot, look at a lot of environmental reports, uh, the photographs in the reports are the a picture telling a thousand words is really true. I can learn a lot more about a property from an aerial photograph or a site photograph than I can from a narrative. But you're absolutely right. There, there, there is nothing like. No substitute for boots on the ground. Absolutely. Boots on the ground, out in the field, looking at what you're looking at so that you can see what you're talking about. It, you're absolutely right. There is there is nothing uh, that compares with actually being out in the field uh, when you've got a dispute so that you can see what's really being talked about. But it was it was it was a it was a good resolution because there were wetlands that were preserved. The client didn't go to jail. Um, it turns out that we were able to redefine you know, sort of the footprint of the issue so dramatically that a lot of development was able to be done that otherwise yep. wouldn't have been. And you got to, to make some naughty feds walk through them thaw brushes. So yes, indeed. Yes, indeed. <laughs> that was more fun than I've had with the federal government in a long time. What a fantastic story of overcoming the odds and a great way for us to start the series. My thanks to Arthur for sharing his story. Um, if you want to find out more about Arthur and Jaffe Law Firm's work, you can find their links uh, in the show notes at thatonecase.com. If you enjoyed the show, please share it with someone that you think would also find it interesting. All the details on how to subscribe are again at thatonecase.com. Thanks for joining us and we'll see you again next time as Kevin Mayer of Norton Rose Fulbright shares the story of That One Case.